All right. Well, grab a seat, folks, if you uh, haven't already. After you grab some coffee, that's no problem. Welcome to church. How's everybody doing? Are you alive? Okay, if you're alive, raise your hand. All right, if you love Jesus, raise your hand. All right, glad you're here. Glad you're here. Hey, give me just a moment to introduce a dear friend of mine to you. Pastor Josh is on vacation in Edgar, so I'm going to be filling in over there this morning. But I'm delighted to uh, welcome Jim Matthias. Jim, have you ever spoken here on a Sunday morning? I don't believe you have. Let me tell you a little bit about Jim. Jim is an Evangel University graduate. He taught and coached at Nakusa High School. Any Nakusa alum here in the room? No? Okay. Thought maybe you'd see your former coach. Uh, he helped plant Christian Life Church in Port Edwards and was its first elder. He also pioneered Youth for Christ at Nakusa High School. He taught adult Christian education, got an MA at Bethel Seminary in St. Paul to prep for AG Foreign Missions. Jim taught Bible studies at International Bible School in Brussels, Belgium for 12 years as a missionary in Brussels, Belgium. He also, don't they have great waffles in Brussels? Isn't that true? How many just got hungry? Man, that sounds good, doesn't it? Pioneered an English-based biblical studies program in Finland uh, and pastored in the inter international church there for eight years. He's now retired in Nakusa, Jim is, and again serving as an elder at Christian Life Fellowship. And perhaps the most impressive thing about Jim is that he personally knows your pastor. Isn't that impressive? You can tell who wrote this introduction. Jim, here's how Jim and I met. Jim served as the interim uh, pastor at Northridge when I was uh, a music minister there and had even recently, actually it was when we had just started uh, or thinking about starting this church that Jim came in as interim. And Jim uh, served after Galen, between Galen and Jason Hirsch, if you're familiar with either of those pastors, for a period of about six months, roughly. And Jim sat in uh, Sievert's Fine Dining and planned with us a construction project to build out this space. He helped me oversee that project, so he was uh, involved when we were uh, up uh, 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 what's the word I'm thinking about? Uh, anyway, this was a shell, and we brought in everything, and he helped me think through all of the upfitting was what I'm thinking about. So welcome, warmly, if you will, my dear friend, Jim Mathias. Well, that was a nice introduction. I didn't know I had done all those things. Time goes quickly, doesn't it? Uh, I can't believe what, it's 10 years since you've been in here? Wow. Um, yeah, it goes fast. Uh, Zach and I are so good friends, and um, I enjoy his fellowship every time we're together. We, I keep track of him on Facebook, so uh, whatever. But when I coached, I'd been to Stratford many times. <clears throat> you guys always beat us in football. I didn't coach football, so that was okay. <laughs> <clears throat> and, uh, but I coached basketball and had some success. But uh, 
I was in the old Merrowood Conference. Anybody ever remember that? The old Merrowood Conference had a lot of a lot of schools from this upper area, and of course, Nakusa was more in the south, you know, area of that. So many, many, many good memories. Uh, did everyone get a, a sheet? If you didn't get one, raise your hand. And uh, I set it up this way. First of all, it's the teacher in me. You know, teachers got to have a handout, right? <laughs> and so that's part of it. And I know you're in the book of James and could have uh, gone there and finished that book out, but I'd never try to do that, finish out a series that your pastor needs to finish out, you know, because I don't know what he said. So, <laughs> so it's much easier just to do a one-off, something that I felt might be, you know, uplifting and important to all of us. And uh, I revisit this subject myself many, many times because when people read Scripture or talk about Scripture, many times uh, there's some confusion or a question of why this or why that. And it's oftentimes a context issue. And I want to just speak for a moment in the upper chart there uh, I drew out just so you would have an idea generally of salvation history with a picture. And when you see a picture, it kind of sticks there for you and you get some context. But people often ask, you know, when you're interpreting the Bible, what's the main point? What's the main issue? And really, if I could just simplify it, the Bible has one main message one and that's that God died for us Jesus came to die for us if you understand that context that all scripture speaks to that that's the whole point of it um, the first 11 chapters of the Bible what does it tell us? It's, it, it talks about the creation, the fall, the flood, and Babel. Those four topics. Maybe about 2,000 years. That, that there's some question about that. But regardless of that, think about that. Wouldn't you like to know a little bit more on creation? You know? God created the heavens and the earth. That's good enough for me, but you know... And there's all kinds of people who want to discuss creation, how that happened, and was it an evolutionary type creation, or what type of creation was it? Was it instantly? Was it an original seven days? Or were those days longer than our days? I won't even go into that. I mean, I ain't going to touch that. But I want to go to the first date that we know from the, the scriptures and the writing of the scriptures about 2000 B.C., and chapter 12 of Genesis talks about Abraham, okay? So we got Abraham, and uh, Abraham is often spoken of as the father of faith, the father of faith, and his life 
shows that. And so here we are at 2000 B.C., chapter 12 of Genesis, and we have the story of Abraham. And then if you go to Jesus, you see those 2,000 years, we have the cross, okay? And we're going to talk about Abraham mainly today because the promise that was given him by God was really the cross and beyond. And we're going to see how that works out. But if you look at today, what is today? You know, 2019. It's almost exactly in the middle, isn't it? Abraham, 2000. Us, 2000. I don't know the total significance of that. I could get into some speculation. Personally, I think all of this salvation plan is wrapping up. I don't know when. Now, if you're young, you're, you want God to hold off a little bit. If you're older like me, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's finish it up because it's a beautiful promise, and we'll look at that at the end. But so here we are, 4,000 years, the cross right in the middle. The other thing I want you to notice is notice the Old Testament covers most of that. And the New Testament, just a little sliver. The whole New Testament. But the writings of the Old Testament go back those 2,000 years. And the New Testament, there's different things. Uh, thinking on that, but about 18 years after Christ uh, ascended, most of the New Testament, if not all, was written, okay? So it's just a little sliver. One thing I always told my students, remember, I, I think the term Old Testament is a misnomer and New Testament is a misnomer in a sense because it's only one word of God. Keep that in mind. The whole scripture, because I'd have a lot of students and they would say, well, that, that's what the Old Testament says, but the New Testament says this. No, there's one message. And it's consistent. And it's never contradictory. You say, well, I don't understand all of that. Yeah, I, I, that part I know. But the main message is clear all the way through. It's only one book. Think about it this way. What was Jesus' Bible? The Old Testament. What Bible did the apostles use? The Old Testament. Yeah, that they had, you see. And so when you think about it that way, what were they thinking when they said what they said or did what they did? It's based on the scripture, and the scripture to them was the Old Testament. Now, Peter indicates that Paul's writings were scripture as well, and we have that scripture that says all scripture is given by inspiration of God, right? And, uh, and, and Peter indicates that Paul's, they viewed his writings as scripture coming from God. So... Men wrote it, but God inspired it through the Holy Spirit. 
And it's the whole Bible is one. And that's always important to remember because sometimes when there are arguments over theology, they'll say, well, that was Old Testament. Do you know the Bible says that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever? And that's exactly what it means. It's simple. We don't have to interpret the Hebrew on that or the Greek on that. He's the same, always and forever will be. And so God had a plan. And the plan didn't go from A, B, C. It was plan A. That's it. He wanted to create people. Uh, uh, the, the, the pinnacle of his creation to have fellowship with him. That's why he created. He created other things that point to that. And it's, it, it's one purpose to have fellowship with his people. <laughs> one, uh, one of my boys says, well, Dad, so did God know that Adam and Eve were going to sin? I said, yeah, he did. Well, why did he do that then? <laughs> why did he create that? There's, there, there are some questions, aren't there? But he wanted to create a being in his image, the Bible says, who could fellowship with him. There's nothing in creation like the human being who can feel and can love and can choose This married couple right here. What if, what, what would love mean if you couldn't choose? What would it mean? We would be, you know, robots, if you will, in a sense. And love has its meaning in choice. Okay? And so Adam and Eve made a choice. But it didn't take God by surprise. Let me throw a little tidbit out to you. You remember when Adam and Eve sinned? And what does it say after they sinned? They felt shame. Who told them about shame? Nobody. It says, because they were naked. What made them feel shame? They were together a long time. And why all of a sudden did they feel shame? Because sin entered their heart. You see? And what did God do? Say, well, that didn't work. Let's start over. No. He, went, he was in the garden with them. It, it indicates that God was fellowshipping with them and it was perfect fellowship. And they were hiding, like we often do, try to hide from God when we do something we shouldn't do. It's like a little kid that puts a pillow over his head because then, you know, that scary person can't see them. You know, they're hiding under their blanket or whatever. And we, we play those games. But God knows us inside and out and where we are all the time. But he asked them a question, you know, where are you? Where are you? For the first time, that fellowship was broken, you see. And so God, you know, what did he do? He took an animal. 
and he killed an animal. It doesn't say he killed him, but it said he took the skin of an animal. I'm assuming that there was bloodshed, right? I'm assuming there was bloodshed for the first time. It was a perfect creation. Everything was perfectly good. And God killed that animal. And what does it say? He clothed them, didn't he? To do what? Did they need it because it was cold? No, to cover their shame, their guilt. And if you skip ahead to Paul's writings, he says, you and I are clothed in his righteousness. The very same image. Because we have that shame of sin, don't we? But he breaks that by covering us with his righteousness, just like in the garden. You see salvation and the message of salvation starting right there with Adam and Eve. And that one message is salvation history all the way to the end. And uh, we'll praise God at the end here when we talk about what happens at the end. But that's why I wanted that chart there for you to let you see that that cross is right in the middle of the whole message. And whenever you're trying to interpret, God, who are you? What are you trying to do? What are you like? It is always in the context of the cross that he died for you and me to reconcile us to himself. That's the whole point. And we know that intellectually, but we need to see that and feel that every time we read scripture to understand that that's the message. Now, a couple of things on that chart I have. What's that one thing over on the right, that date that I put there, 1948. Does anybody know what that date is? Why did I put 1948 on there? I see question mark. Does anybody know? Huh? My birthday? <laughs> there you go. The modern day promised land that God had marked out for who? Abraham. Came back into reality physically. Now you know they had that land under the kings. If you read the, the book of First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, you know the land that they had. It was marked out clearly. And they went into the promised land with Joshua, right? And that same land was gone for over 1,400 years. Why? Because they disobeyed God. And he says, as long as you obey me, that land is yours and you will be there. But we also have the promise in the Bible that that land will always be there and that there will be a king whose kingdom will never end. All those kingdoms ended, right? Solomon was the last king to have the united Israel. And after that, his kids fought over it and it was split 
And one went into uh, captivity with, by the Assyrians, and we don't know what happened to them. Those were the ten northern tribes and uh, never can trace them. But the southern tribes we can because they went into Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And God marked it out. And at the end of 70 years, they came back for a while, but then it was destroyed again. And they were dispersed all over the world. But God said, someday. And he promised Abraham, and we'll see that. There will be a kingdom. And that kingdom will never end. All the kingdoms of the earth, the man-made kingdoms, will all pass away. But God's kingdom, and who is the king? Who will be the king? The son of David. Isn't that what Jesus is called? Because David's the one that got that promise. God said to David that there will be a king from your line and he will rule and reign over this land eternally. And that's the kingdom of God. That's the kingdom of God. And so we see that. But I put that 1948 on there because that's the modern state of Israel. Funny story, when I was in Evangel, C.M. Ward was an old radio preacher and I don't expect you to know who he was, but he was quite a character. And uh, the college students loved him because he was always on the edge, you know. <laughs> he was always making fun of headquarters and all that that was there in Springfield. And, of course, college students like that, you know, and make fun of themselves. And uh, I was in his Sunday school class, so similar to this on a Sunday morning great teacher and the six day war happened in 1968 67 sorry there was a six day war I don't know if you wouldn't remember that but you may have heard of it that the Arab nations attacked Israel and the war lasted six days and this was the first of that war and, and we didn't know how long it was going to last at the time and C.M. Ward picked up his Bible and he said, you know what? Israel will not be uh, taken away again. This land will never be taken away again. And if it does, I'm going to quit preaching and I'm going to turn my back on God. <laughs> That's quite a bold statement, isn't it? but it was true. In six days, it was over. And from, from that day on, that same idea is still in the minds of, of Middle Eastern countries around. I just came back from Egypt. Egypt is an interesting place too. But all of those come into play and say, you know, that want to destroy Israel. It's not going to happen. Because that land it's marked out. God marked that out. That's his land. It's not because 
the Jews were righteous. No, they lost it because they were unrighteous. It's not because, but it's because God marked that out for the headquarters of his kingdom, which would be Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem. It's interesting that our president said that he recognized Jerusalem as the, that was quite a bold step. I mean, a lot of them recognized, but never moved the, uh, our, our headquarters there. And so I just get the feeling, I don't know, I just get the feeling that we're talking about the end times. Now, the end times is a broad word. What is the end times? It is now. But if you read the New Testament, they thought they were in the end times, didn't they? Paul encouraged them. He said, don't be discouraged. You know, it's going to happen. But that's a long time ago. What we would say is a long time ago. And so that's why I have this chart there, to keep that in context. Salvation history so you don't get discouraged about, well, I've heard this my whole life, that Jesus is coming soon. Well, the Bible says that he will come like a thief in the night. In other words, unexpectedly, except for those who are looking for him. And we look for him every day by fellowshipping with him and saying, Lord, speak to me today. Do you know that they're going to be building churches when Jesus comes? I mean, if, if Jesus says, we're coming, I'm coming back next year, would you break ground? Probably not, maybe. <laughs> and there have been groups that have gone on top of mountains thinking that Jesus was coming back right away, and they were waiting for him on the mountain. But the Bible doesn't say that. It says, be ready. Be ready. But put your hand to the plow. It's like praying, God, save me. If I'm out in a boat and, God, and I'm praying for God to save me, if I got an oar there, I need to row, row the boat, right? And that's what we need to do. We need to be busy doing the work of the kingdom because God knows when that final hour is there we don't know and we don't need to know and it's probably best we don't know we don't even need to speculate and so I think of this Christian walk as today you're walking with the Lord today right and you don't know about tomorrow none of us do so live for him today don't say when I when I get this or when I do that or when this happens, then I will do that. No. Do it today. Say, Lord, uh, you know, I give my life to you today and every day you need to wake up saying, Lord, what do you have for me today? It'll make your day go better. And you always sense that his presence is there. That's very, very important because we don't know about tomorrow. And that's an important thing to keep in mind. Time is a, is a very interesting subject in Scripture. It can be confusing because sometimes we think, God, it's been a long time. I've been praying for that forever. 
Well, let me just give you a little tidbit about Abraham. He was 75 when God called him and said he was going to have a son and that his son would grow into, his seed would grow into a nation. A nation, not just a family. Do you know when he had Isaac? When he was 100 years old. He was 100 years old. You say, well, wow, that took a long time. His, his, his wife was barren. They couldn't have kids. And we'll look at that real quick. But it's an important thing to remember time to us is so slow. We, we want something we pray for today to happen tomorrow or maybe next week or maybe next month. That, that might be the outer limit. You see? Impatience and time. You see? The beautiful part of the kingdom of God when we reign with him forever and serve him forever it says time will be no more do you know that time is in that space of fallen man because it's insignificant after that in a perfect world right time is insignificant at that point he will rule and reign so let's look at Abraham 75 years old and God calls him and I want you to, if you got your Bibles, you can turn there, but we'll have the scripture up as well. But chapter 12 is the call of God, okay? Chapter 12, let's read it. The Lord said to Abram, and notice his name is Abram. God will change that later. And you'll find God does that with um, Jacob too. And you say, well, hmm, that's strange. Changed his name. Why? Because God changed him. And the Bible says you'll have a name, a new name written in glory. Why? Because it'll define your, who you are in Christ. And that's what they did in the Old Testament. God changed his name later. But Abram is called uh, at first. He says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. Think about that. Abram's this nomad, has a family, and God comes to him and speaks to him, I assume audibly, and said, go. You see? He says, go and go to the land I show you, and I will make you into a great nation. Now, you talk about a question mark. If God came to you and said, you know, audibly, I want you to leave Stratford and I want, to, want you to go where I show you and you're going to be president of the United States. You say, well, that's foolishness. I didn't hear God. It's that wild. It's that wild. Abraham, first of all, he's from an area which would be today probably a rock in that area and he's called to go to a land that I will show you well that's different than saying okay I want you to go uh, uh, 
you know, get your GPS and go here and go there and go there. God didn't tell him where he was going. He didn't tell him where he was going at all. He just said, I want you to go, and I'm going to make you into a great nation. Okay? And I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And what? All people's out on earth will be blessed through you. That's, that's preposterous. That's wild to think about the promise God gave Abram right out of the blocks, and he doesn't know. Well, if I were Abram, I would have a lot of questions at that point. But it says, so, verse 4, Abram left as the Lord had told him. And Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran and he took his wife Sarah and his nephew Lot and all his possessions. So he left, and I don't know exactly how God guided him, but if you look at a map, that area, the Middle East, is, has a fertile crescent, we call it. It's where the water is. That's how you survived. You've got to have water. So if you notice that fertile crescent comes into play, if you are in Iraq or Iran or whatever, if you come down to Israel, you follow the Jordan and you go to Egypt. That was the trade route. That's where all the green was. If you look on a map, the rest of it's desert. It's desolate. So he would logically follow that. That would be where the people of the known world would have lived at the time. And so God leads him. Now I want you to skip over to chapter 15. By the way, when he says, you will be a blessing and your name will be great, do you know that in the New Testament, I, I checked it out. I'm a mathematician. I did teach math at one time, but I counted it. Seventy-four times Abram is talked about in the New Testament. Seventy-four times. He's known as the father of, of faith and to a Jew he would be the patriarch of patriarchs he's the he's the main man it all started from him it's interesting that the Islamic people see Abraham the same way their father and in one way he was not in the faith area but genetically right how'd that happen We'll talk about that in just a minute. Okay, so we go to chapter 15, and we have the covenant. So God promised him. He didn't just leave him alone to wonder. He met him at different times, and Abraham would, or I'll just use the term Abraham. I, I'll change the name now, but Abraham built altars, and those altars would always represent when God came and spoke to him clearly. And that's a good thing to do. I don't, I'm not a journaler, but some of you journal. And journals are very valuable for, for that one thing, that when God meets you in a special way and you journal that, you can go back to that and remember. And that can bless your heart. My wife was a journaler, and she had a... I just love reading her journal because it's, 
It's just that history of her salvation and, and what God is doing. And so in chapter 15, um, after, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So he gives him a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. If you didn't have a, a boy child at that time, you could take a servant and, and, and they could inherit what you have, but they can't pass your name on. Okay? And Abram said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. That's pretty clear. Okay? He took him outside and said, look up to the heavens and count the stars if, you in, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. In other words, look at the stars. How big is your offspring going to be? What's your influence going to be? Count the stars if you can. Innumerable. Amazing. Okay? And so it says, Abram believed the Lord, verse 6, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, I want you to note that verse, and, and that's a very important verse of the Bible because you're going to see it quoted in the New Testament. Because when Paul preached, he said to the Jews, he said, you think you're saved because you're a Jew? You were born into the kingdom? Physically? No. No. He says, in fact, Abram didn't follow the Jewish law. You follow the law thinking that's going to save you. And he says, Abraham didn't even follow the law when God said, you are righteous. He believed God. And that was his righteousness. In other words, he had faith in God. It wasn't the law that saved him. And, of course, Paul writes about that a lot. The law can't save you. Now, I say that because you and I have to keep that in mind. The law can't save you. You say, well, I don't follow that Old Testament law. But don't we kind of default to having some laws that we make? If I attend church every Sunday, I get a plus, plus one. And every time I do that, I get a plus, and I plus. We get kind of legalistic about the whole thing, but it has nothing to do with that. Should we come to church? Absolutely we should come to church. But that doesn't save us. We know that intellectually, don't we? And so that's what Paul was trying to say. And it says here that Abram believed in the Lord, the Lord, capital L there, Yahweh is his name. That's the name he gave Moses. And he credited it to him as righteousness. Our righteousness is in God. Our righteousness is in our faith 
in Christ. That's the only righteousness we have because my righteousness is as filthy rags. It means nothing. I have no righteousness outside of that. Okay. But Abram, um, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How do I know this is going to happen, God? Let's jump down to verse uh, 12. Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and will be enslaved and mistreated 400 years. He's telling them about the captivity in Egypt, isn't he? He's giving him a, 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 a picture of something he's not even going to see. Now, he gives him this um, covenant promise again, and then he goes down to verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. What pieces? Let me summarize it. You know the story. God says, kill these animals, cut them in half, put half on one side and half on the other side. And so he did that. That's in the previous verses there. You can read it. I don't have time to read that. But in those days when you and I would make a covenant and we would make a contract, that's what we would do. We would take an animal, cut it in half, put a half over here and half over there. And however much we, we did, whoever's going to eat, afterwards we'd have a celebration. In other words, that was our handshake. That was our handshake. And in that culture, that's what it was because the two that made the covenant would walk between those pieces of animals, one on one side, one on the other, before they were cooked and you would walk through and that would signal that if I break this covenant, that's what's going to happen to me. Serious business. But the beauty of this one is, what happens? He puts an he puts Abraham and he has this vision and a fire pot levitates and goes through the middle. In other words, God himself signed the covenant. God himself signed the covenant. Abraham didn't walk through there. God said, this is my covenant and it will happen. You can't get any clearer than that. It's my covenant. This is going to happen. Whether you cooperate or not, it will happen. And that was the covenant uh, ceremony that they would have. Um, well, God renewed that covenant three times with Abraham. But an interesting thing is in Genesis 16, right after this, Abraham and Sarah get an idea that, you know what, I'm 86 now. We don't have a baby yet. So they decide to help God out, right? So Hagar is the handmaiden, 
and they have Ishmael with her. Not with Sarah. Well, God says, that isn't the way it's going to happen. You're going to have. Your wife's going to have a child. You and your wife will have a child, and that is the promised child. Well, that caused all kinds of problems that we still see today. The Arab nations are Ishmael. Okay? And uh, so you see that same thing happening. They're brothers, yeah, half-brothers. And then in Genesis 17, the covenant is renewed, and he's now 99 years old. 99 years old. And those three visitors come, remember, on the way to Sodom and Gomorrah? They come and say, um, and one sticks back and says, he renews the covenant and says, you're going to have a baby. And what did Sarah do? She laughed. And God says, why are you laughing? She said, I didn't laugh. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. You see, she was ashamed to say that she did. But she knew she laughed because it was hilarious. I mean, God, I'm 99. I can't father a child. And Sarah, she's long past being able to bear a child. And God says, through the angel, a year from now, you're going to have that baby. And he did. They did. At 100 years old. He was 75 when he first got called. Or he was 100 years old when Isaac was born. Now, why does God do things like that? You're going to find in the Bible many times God does things that are totally impossible so that you know it's God and not you. You know it's God. It has to be. Because there's, there's no explanation. Crossing the Red Sea. All of those things. Think about it. Well, so the covenant is completed. Well, let's look at Galatians 3, and I'm going to close with this, the fulfillment. I want to go to Galatians, a New Testament book because it talks about this very covenant Galatians 3 starting with verse 6 consider Abraham he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness see that verse there again understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham who's that you and I. The scripture foresaw that God was just, would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. So there's the gospel. And Abraham believed and it was credit to him as righteousness. And, and Paul is writing to the Galatians saying, that's us. That's us. All nations will be blessed through you so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then jump over to verse 26, because this kind of seals it. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You. We're in the, we're in the church age. This is us. 
You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, what's it say? Then you are Abraham's seed. See the connection. And heirs according to the promise. We are heirs according to the promise. We are Abraham's seed. And what is that seed? It's two things. First of all, it's faith. That we are saved by faith. But it's also the seed of Abraham is Christ Jesus, you see. Not that he was born, but in that line, you see, that line of faith, the seed of faith, because he's the Savior of all, you see, the King of kings. Okay, let me just finish then in Revelation to, to, to top it off. Right at the end of the book, okay, Revelation 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Therefore, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And then down to verse 22, uh, or chapter 22, verse 20. This is the very last chapter. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So on that chart, what you see is the creation, but look over to the other end, the recreation. I just read about it. There's a new heaven and a new earth. Now what's that going to be like? Here's the simplest way I can explain it and understand it. It will be as it was in the beginning. It says God will dwell with us, just like he did with Adam and Eve. And that kingdom on earth, it will be on earth, but a new earth. A new earth that's restored, redeemed, if you will. So he doesn't just redeem mankind, you and I, and all believers all those people of faith all the way through that we are a part of, but he redeems the earth and lives among his people. The new Jerusalem comes back down to earth and the connection is there and the king of kings rules and reigns for how long? Forever. And no more sickness, pain, sorrow, tears, suffering, It'll be as it was intended to be from the beginning. God never, never gave up on man. 
He redeemed him. And he puts that out there for all of us. You are redeemed. And he does his creation as well. And so we can rejoice in that. Stand with me together. And let's rejoice in that idea. I just wanted to paint the big picture today. Um, I wish I had a week, but we could talk about this for a long time and ask questions and everything. But that's the basic idea. Christ came and created, and it was good. And at the end, he recreates, and it's good. And that relationship he wanted all along is restored completely. And we are with him forever. I love that. And so let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And I pray that you would speak to our hearts on a daily basis and help us to understand that you love us and that you are our redeemer. Lord, we trust you. No matter how this life takes us, what turns it takes, no matter if we are barren as Sarah, when you promise, it will be done. And Lord, your promise is clear that we will be with you forever and ever. And we rejoice in that today. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to say one more thing. I was in a cave church in Egypt about two weeks, three weeks ago. I was in a cave church, the old Coptic church. And it seats 2,000. They just built chairs in there. And chiseled in stone is that, ver that part of that verse that I read in Revelation at the end. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And I thought of that. So take that with you. Be encouraged today. In Jesus' name.